Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. I think those people that are embracing the change and becoming safer and understanding that safety does have a place are the people that have an operation that probably is a bit more efficient too. That's the voice of Jason Fogg. And with that sort of perspective, many would assume he's either a farmer looking for a competitive edge or maybe even a safety consultant. In fact, he's neither. He's a farmhand. One, though, who particularly likes working on a property that puts his safety first. And that property is owned by another Jason, Jason Mellings. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and Jason Mellings has made safety a fundamental aspect of his business culture. And he joins me in the AgVic Talk studio. Jason, thanks for your time. Pleasure. Jason, break a day. Where is it and what do you farm? Break a day is halfway between Donald and Warrant Nabeel, approximately 88 k's from Horsham, north of. Yeah, look, usual suspects, wheat, barley, canola, lentils, beans, a few sheep but not many, but predominantly cropping. Predominantly cropping, usual suspects, but you've got a little bit more going on there though, and we'll talk about the trucking in a moment, but is farming in your blood? Yeah, look, I guess it is, Drew. I mean, my grandfather migrated from England, ended up at Warwick, just out of Nil, and long story short, my father ended up at Carron, where we are now, and that happened in 1960, and we've been here ever since. I want to talk to you a little bit about farm safety today, Jason. In regards to farming being in your blood and your granddad doing it and your dad doing it, I imagine the approaches they had to farm safety were quite different to what you have today and what you're also required to have today. Yeah, look, I'll just use an example of when I first left school. You know, like I remember a lot of PDA shafts didn't have a guard. The field bins and silos didn't actually self-empty you had to get in with augers going i mean some of the stuff we used to do i look back now was pretty dodgy to say the least but everyone did it and everyone used to take the risk and it got to the stage where things improved by default but you know everyone had one or two machines were still pretty dodge i guess we didn't employ as many people then employees weren't such a big part of the equation unlike now and i'll go a step further to say that by default as machinery's got changed over as compared to 30 years ago the guards and the safety equipment was actually pretty good and I'll use an example of, I remember when I left school, we had a 1420 Axle Flow International Harvester Company header, and it had probably 10 guards on it, which all ended up in the back of the workshop by the end of the first harvest. And when we traded that machine in, the whole lot ended up back in the salesman's ute, and I said, here's all the uh, guards there, mate, <laughs> do what you want with them. So off he went, and he put them back on, obviously. Compared to the header we've got now, you just push a little clip on the side of the machine, the guards flop up out of your way, and they're good you can get at everything they're dust free and when you finish doing what you got to do is push the button and they get fly down again and that's that so by default it's a lot better than it was you say it's a lot better than it was and that sounds like it makes it very easy and then it starts to i imagine creep into the way you think about safety in regards to your business is that a main concern now look it is i mean to be brutally honest Part of the reason we're a bit, I guess you could say, scared or fearful of safety is because of litigation. Let's face it, if we aren't up to spec with WorkSafe and we have an incident within this business and we end up in court, we're in the hot seat big time. So that alone is a big incentive to make sure we're up to speed, not to mention the obvious fact that we do want people to come home safe. You don't want family members with missing fingers or limbs or worse. So safety is, uh, is paramount now for sure. 
Jason, you, you mentioned WorkSafe there. So why is maintaining good documentation an important part of running your business? There's a couple of ways of looking at that. In fact, I could talk about this for a while because long story short, we now document all the uh, maintenance goes on machines, right from a lawnmower straight through to a tractor or a header or whatever it may be. And the reason for that is one thing, so we can go back and look when things were serviced so we know where we are. The other thing is if we have an accident with a machine, WorkSafe comes on site and says, well, is this machine safe? Has it been well maintained? We can say, well, yes, it is because it's all written down on paper. So that's number one. Number two is we have a bit of a quick accreditation or bit of an instruction on how machines operate and how to use them and we sign off to say that I'm satisfied the way guys use them so if something happens and WorkSafe says well look did the guy know what he's doing well yes he does because it's all written up in documentation so that covers that base the other thing is too we have a lot of issues with guys on phones guys that want to drink alcohol in the cabins after a certain time of the day guys throw rubbish around the yard guys won't keep the cabs clean they won't wash the windows etc etc so it comes into workplace culture as well as work safety as well. So if that's all written up in a document and we get into harvest, for example, and I've got a backpacker out of goodness knows where or whoever it may be, and they're not obeying by the rules or my culture of this farm, I can say, hey, mate, a week ago you signed up to say that you weren't going to sit on your phone all day, for example, or whatever it may be, looking at Facebook. You're going to keep the cabs clean, etc. whatever it may be. You sign for it. You know where you stand. Clean it up sort that set of stuff out and from my point of view if they don't and there might be two or three things like that that aren't happening with a particular employee basically gone they're looking for a bus ticket out of here so that's where we stand on documentation. Jason it sounds like those two things though are very much hand in glove workplace culture and documentation so if one's right is the other one right? Exactly right yes yep. Jason, there's a lot to get your head around, though, in regards to the actual legal requirements. Is that something that you are assisted by getting a consultant on the farm and then also running it? There's a lot of apps around now as well. Look, there is. From my point of view, what we've done is i got um, John. He's employed by VFF at the moment. He was really good. He came on for half a day. Uh, we went through all the documentation. He gave me a USB stick with all the information, heaps of it, heaps of forms and documentation we can actually fill out so it's all sitting there in front of you had a quick inspection went through all that and that was really good but what i've done because i'm rather time poor i've got a consultant or a friend of mine out of horsham who is all over this stuff she came on farm we sat around the table with all the employees went through all the documentation which she had organized before she got there we signed up she went through everything explained what was required what was expected and by the time she left, it was all said and done. She folds it away on a computer. Easy, done. So that's how I've done it. It sounds like a very organised and sensible approach to actually take with it. But it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? I assume it's not just a one-off meeting. Look, it's not. I mean, it just keeps evolving. So, I mean, you make a start. And you can't do it all in one hit. That's what John said. He said, look, make a start. You know, there's a few things around the farm we had to improve on. For example, we needed some bollards around a couple of chemical loading areas, fuel tanks, etc., more signage and a few more uh, first aid kits. He said, just get it done over a month or two, which we did. Documentation, just do it in a gradual process because, I mean, it is a fair bit of time. So just over 12 months, you just make it happen. It doesn't take long to get most things where they should be. And a lot of the stuff with WorkSafe, it is just efficiency and being probably neat and tidy. And it actually adds value to your operation at the same time. For example... 
I want to look back when the blades on that lawnmower were fixed or a new battery went in the ute or whatever it may be. I can actually look back in the documentation I've already got done and see when that was. It's good for that way. You know, we've actually upgraded our chemical loading facility, so we've got a chem shed with a evaporation pond and a concrete slab to load on. Cost us a few bucks, but it's just been a big improvement to the operation of spraying. In a lot of ways, it actually improves the efficiency of the business, so it's not all bad is what I'm trying to say. Jason, some people say it's too expensive to have the latest safety gear and update all the time. For you, though, it sounds like it's a carefully thought-out business decision and money well spent. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's amazing how many people, there's a bit of a misconception out there that it is a cost and it is time. And look, maybe you could look at it that way. But as I said to a guy the other day, and look, they run a good show. And I said, guys, what if you have a problem on that farm? And I mean, all your gear is good. You are safe. I'll look at you over the fence. You run a good operation, but things do happen and you've got probably three or four guys working for you. You have an issue and you end up in the hot seat in court. Where do you stand? You know, for the sake of a day every couple of months to get this sorted out or whatever it may be, wouldn't you just go and do it? As part of your operation, you also run trucks and they're doing distance and obviously have busy times as well on your property, such as harvest or sowing. And around those times, fatigue management comes into play. How do you approach that? Yeah, good question. Look, with the fatigue thing, I mean, I've been here since basically I left school within reason and I know how hard I can go. And so I get a bit of a gauge on how hard the other guys can go as well. So with the trucks, look, they're all pretty much monitored by a logbook. So, you know, they might jump in a truck in the morning, head to Ballarat or Melbourne, wherever it may be. And I know when they get back, we've got a load and get ready for the next day. So I say, righto, fellas, your miles will knock off. It might be four o'clock in the, in the afternoon, but you've been going since six. So you've done your day, go and have a rest and jump in again tomorrow. So that's how the trucks run. Harvest and cropping is a bit of a different story. An issue I do get, and look, I'm not trying to put the moz on backpackers, but a lot of those guys are the worst because all they want to do is do hours. They want to do hours, as many as they can, in a shorter time as they can, so they get as much money as they can and move on. Well, I say to them, guys, you've been on that machine for 16, 17 hours. You cannot run it efficiently. It's not safe. You're out of there. And look, I've had a few arguments with them, not just backpackers, others as well. I say, right, you're off. If we've got enough staff, everyone knocks off for lunch, which sounds like a bit of a luxury, but that does happen. I might just say, look, go home for lunch, have an hour off. Someone else will drive it or I'll drive it. And same with dinner time that night or, you know, it's been a long time. I'll just go home, have two hours off, and then jump back on at 8 o'clock at night. Stuff like that. So I'm pretty hot on the fatigue side of it. It is easy just to leave guys there, but in all honesty, it's not efficient and it doesn't work. And let's face it, if they get fatigued and put a header front end on SEC pole, it's no fun. Although insurance can get you a new one, you're not going to get one in the middle of harvest. These machines have to be treated with a lot of respect. Jason, you mentioned earlier about the culture that you have on the farm. I assume with these conversations, you've got to lead by example as well, wouldn't you? Oh, I do. Exactly right. Look, whether we like it or not, guys like me, we're farmers. We're not trained to be um, employers, but whether we like it or not, we are. We have to lead example. We have to set the rules. You know, to the point, we have to sort out arguments amongst employees. The list goes on. We have to be a boss. We have to be a leader. Simple as that. You make a really good point there, though, Jason. You know, your primary reason for being is to be a primary producer but suddenly you become a manager and and you're trying to manage people and and i imagine that times you're standing there going i never expected to have some of these difficult 
conversations. How have you gone about developing some of those skills? Look, I guess because I've always haven't been on the farm. I was a mechanic for a few years when I first left school. I know what it's like to work for a boss and work with a group of guys. And I know how I want the boss to treat me. And I know what it's like to work with other employees. So nowadays, I've probably drawn all that experience quite a lot in the situation now. But this industry is no different to a trucking business or a building crew where a guy started off with a hammer and a set of nails and built houses on his own. All of a sudden, he's got 20 blokes under him. He's had to evolve into being a leader and a boss. It's the same thing, really. That's Jason Mellings, owner of Braco Day. So... How does that workplace culture play out on a daily basis? Jason Fogg, who you heard from right at the start, has been working on the property for nearly a year. He's come to farming from a range of backgrounds, one of which is very safety focused. I am a commercial helicopter pilot, so there are similarities between the two. Obviously, processes and protocols that we use in the cockpit are similar to the machinery that we're using here. I mean, it is big. It's dangerous when you don't operate it properly. And how did you end up going from helicopters to working on a farm? I understand there was a logistics stint in between. Well, COVID has seen a great change in my variety of work, but I was on a Facebook page that was Pilots for Harvest, and I'd always wanted to do something like this. And I just sent a message out. Next thing you know, my phone rang. It was Jason Mellings. He said, I've got a job doing harvest. And I said, right, I'll come down. And next thing you know, two days later, I was sitting in a case header doing um, stripping wheat, I think it was, for my first gig. Jason, you sort of touched on it, but what are the similarities and differences between machinery safety as a pilot and also agricultural machinery? I think they're really similar in in the fact that you have got a piece of machinery underneath you that if used wrong, can bite you. And so in the cockpit, we have a variety of checklists or or protocols and processes that we use to get things either started or underway. And similarly, you you know, when you're taking the boom out, let's say, you know, throttle down, extend the arms, make sure it's clear, all those sorts of things. So you're going through a little checklist in your head as you do the same sort of things I would do in a cockpit of a helicopter when I'm about to take off, you know, T's and P's, temperatures and pressures are all good, you know, my surroundings are all clear. Okay, it's clear to take off. Then I look at my gauges, then I can look outside and then off we go. So it's all very similar, really. There's obviously becoming more and more of a legal requirement for workplaces to have this sort of detail in place. But in a place like a farm as well, where you do have new workers coming and going, does it help in terms of that training and implementation as well? Yeah, massively. Making sure that there's a clear understanding for the people that are operating the machinery. There was a young guy that was here who, I guess, complacency because he, he hasn't seen the worst of what can happen when you're not concentrating can set in. So if you've got a, a set of guidelines for these people to follow, then it's easy to refer back to them. So when they come in and you go, okay, well, you're going to be on the chaser bin, here's what I need you to do, and you, and you do a run through with them, then that's their safe working method statement, basically. And then you can also have it in, in writing for them before you go out and do it. But you'd much the same as, as learning to fly. You do your theory first and then you go out into the cockpit and you put it into practice. Jason, I imagine this translates a little bit in terms of the culture of the place and how it's actually running. And is that affect your ability to work in a safe way if that's all positive and in place? Yeah, it is. I mean, I guess I'm lucky in the fact that my age and maturity, I've been around and seen a few different things and so I would speak up, but I could totally understand that there would be some operators that have always done it away for a hundred years and they just keep ticking over that way and they don't want to see change. 
And that's the people that I would expect have the problems with safety and do have the issues and the, and the accidents because it doesn't take much for an accident to happen. But I think those people that are embracing the change and becoming safer and understanding that safety does have a place are the people that have an operation that probably is a bit more efficient too. Well, it translates into a business imperative, doesn't it? Absolutely. If you're running something and, you know, there's stuff everywhere and you're stepping over things to get to something else and it's just really unsafe and, and uncontrolled and not well thought out, the proof's in the pudding really, isn't it? Well, it sounds like it makes you far happier as an employee to be working in a place which does have those things in place. Absolutely. I wouldn't have come back if it was just a gig at a place where it was pretty ad hoc and just throwing in here and just do this and make that up as you go. I've come back. I like the bit of structure and, and I like the way that things have progressed here. But I also like the um, the ethos because you're allowed to speak up here. You're encouraged to speak up. If you don't think something's safe, say something. Jason, you go through busy periods on a farm such as Harvest. How important is it to have a clear head and to be out of focus? And how does that change if you are rushed in those busy periods? I think that's probably the most important part, especially during times of harvest and those sorts of things where it's all on, you know, everyone knows it's busy, it's their long days, long nights. If you aren't being honest with yourself and understanding that you are maybe tired, you're not focused, you know that something's going to go, go wrong and you could injure yourself or someone else by saying, hey, I'm buggered or understanding that you need to have regular breaks. Safety Safety doesn't take a holiday. Nothing more has been clearer to me than doing a harvest in the long hours and you think, oh, buggered. It's the next day that you get up and you try and operate something that you're really not clear on it and you think, I've got to stop. I've got to go and take a break or I've got to do something else because you take a shortcut and that's the thing that'll hurt you. Jason, I understand you've also been working on another safety initiative in regards to trying to make the property COVID safe, which is probably something a lot of primary producers haven't actually thought about. Yeah, putting a little program into place, and it doesn't take much, but putting it into place because these are isolated properties and a lot of them don't see a lot of people, but still having the system in place allows you to keep COVID out. I mean, you're going to have multiple workers coming across your uh, business, either at cropping time or at harvest time. So you need to know who they are and where they've come from and the potential dangers. So we've got QR codes here and just a, a regular little protocol list of what you need to do when you first arrive on site. Jason Fogg, thank you very much for joining me in the AgVic Talk studio today. Drew, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to AgVic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne.